Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School right here in the heart of Chicago. I pray that you find hope and peace in the message of Christ and Him crucified for you in your life right now. Thank you for listening. And please, if you'd like to support the mission going on right here, uh, please go to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org to donate. Thank you. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So uh, this week, I was listening to a favorite comedy podcast of mine, typical dude bro podcast, and uh, they were somehow uh, drawn to the discussion of how one becomes a Christian, and they came up with two ideas, that one is you're either raised in the faith, or two, that things have spiraled so far beyond my control, or beyond your control, that you need a come to Jesus moment, you need to be, you know, reeled back in somehow, right? A conversion experience. Uh, And I thought it was interesting that they were wrestling with this question because this part of the church year during Lent also wrestles with a similar question, right? How does one come to faith, right? What does it mean to become a Christian at all? Lent really in general is about answering these questions. We said Lent strips things down to the basics and asks us what is the Christian faith about at its core and included in that How do we become a Christian? What does it mean to be a member of the church? These are questions that we wrestle with during this time of the church year. And so last week, John kind of answers that in an interesting way. If you remember last week, we had the woman at the well, right? And this is a story that's familiar to us. And it's sort of a story of someone who's uh, looking for love in all the wrong places, right? That's kind of illustrated by her, her background and everything, right? She's seeking satisfaction, perhaps, in the people around her. And Jesus' response is interesting, right? He says, hey, come to me. I will give you living water. This living water will actually satisfy. The message is, stop looking for love in all the wrong places. And by the way, he's speaking to us, right? To the church, to Israel, to the Samaritans, to all people as well. Stop looking for love in all the wrong places. Instead, come to me, right? The love of God incarnate, right? The love of God is sitting right in front of you in the flesh. And now, jumping off of that idea, we encounter another person with a problem. This person is born blind, right? So he, he has this problem of, of blindness, right? A familiar problem in the first century, certainly. And in Jesus' time, and in John's gospel in particular, sight and blindness are sort of compared to uh, faith and disbelief right? Notice that at the end of our gospel text that we just read a few moments ago, uh, that to see is to have faith in Christ, and to be blinded is to be trapped in sin. And think of how this is true for us as well, right? Sin clouds our vision, right? It distorts our thinking. It muddies our ability to perceive the world around us, right? And what's funny is it fools us, right? That when we sin, you know, whatever the case is, whatever sin it is that we deal with, oftentimes it feels very clear to us what we're doing, right? We're able to cover it up in all the right ways, in a way that makes sense, right? And uh, we think we're getting away with it. But to the outside world, we're, we're kind of foolish, right? We're just stuck in that sin in this obvious way, and we're not really fooling anybody. But again, it's distorted our thinking, right? We think we get away with whatever it is that's in front of us, right? We're kind of like, like kids in that sense, I guess, right? Uh, so here's the point. When we look at this person who's born blind, 
we might be tempted to think of him as having a different problem than us, right? That this guy really was dealt a bad hand in life, unlike us, right? But that's not the point. We should see ourselves in the blind man, right? We should see ourselves like this person in the story because we, like him, are unable to see, to perceive the world around us clearly, right? To see it as God wants us to see the world around us. So what does that mean? Well, for the woman at the well looking for living water, Jesus says he is the living water that she's looking for. And today, how does Jesus describe himself in response to the person born blind? He says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Light and dark are essential to understanding what John's trying to teach us, right? Think way back to uh, Christmas when we read that famous line from John 1 that Jesus uh, is the light of the world and the light shone in the darkness and yet the light has overcome the darkness, right? There's that language there at the very beginning. In John 3 that we read a few weeks ago, right? Famous words, John 3, 16, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and yet he's seeking light, right? We see that again. To give you a preview of Holy Week, on Maundy Thursday, Judas will betray Jesus and depart from the Last Supper under the cover of night, right? So John is working with these themes of light and dark, and light is really essential to everything that we do as well, right? I used the camping analogy in our children's message, but it's true, right? If you've been camping, you understand that light is connected to our life, our survival, right? We are unable to see uh, in the dark, right? Lost to our own devices. Uh, and yet, with light, whether it's the light of a lantern, of a campfire, this kind of connects us to survival, right? Life in the midst of darkness, that sort of idea. So, Jesus is telling us he is the light of the world. Through him, and really by him, we can now see and perceive our neighbor see our neighbor as God intends this person to be seen. And think about how this is true of the church, right? If we were to take away Jesus, remove Jesus from the church for a moment, right, we would see what in the church? We would see sinners. We would see people that are dysfunctional, lives that are messy. It would be, frankly, a disaster if we were to remove Christ from the, the church, from the sanctuary, right? But in light of Jesus, what does the church become? The Bible tells us it's a shining city on a hill. The Bible tells us that in light of Christ, it's the gathering of saints, not simply sinners, right? Uh, in light of what Christ does, the church isn't just a gathering of people, but in fact, it's a preview, a foretaste of the wedding feast of the Lamb and his kingdom that has no end. So something holy, something sacred happens in church precisely because of Christ's presence. He enlightens our gathering. Right? He brings light to it. Uh, I think a really good analogy for this is in C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle. Right? If you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia series, maybe with your kids or maybe you know, a long time ago, um, those who came to believe in Aslan at the end, on the last day, were able to see the world around them well. Right? They were able to look at the rich feast that had been prepared in front of them. They were able to see the rolling meadows of the new creation. They were able to hear the music of this new world. Absent Aslan, what was this world? They thought they were stuck in the old world. They thought things were simply decaying and, you know, a product of 
the brokenness that they had observed before. So the light of Christ then, in Lewis's mind, and for us as well, ultimately changes how we see the world around us and how we see not only the world around us, but also how we see the mission, the work of the church, and how we see one another. But that question remains, right? To come back to our idea from before, how does one come to see at all? And St. Augustine says that in this miracle that we read about today, we really see the miracle of the word made flesh. What does St. Augustine mean? Well, he says that Jesus, the God-man, right? Those two things, two natures, right? He's fully God, fully man, one person, collide in the incarnation. So the divine comes together with the stuff of earth, right? The stuff of our everyday life, and it creates something miraculous, which is the word made flesh. In our miracle today, the same thing happens. Jesus, the God-man, spits and takes dirt, right? Like the grittiness of our everyday life, the stuff of nature, really. And what does he do? He creates a healing salve, a balm of sorts, a healing ointment. So God, the Most High, takes something so simple, mud, and brings about healing, right? Which is really profound to think about. The way that this uh, healing takes place is always when God comes together with humanity and creates something miraculous. So what does Jesus then do with this gritty, strange salve? Well, with the salve applied to this man's eyes, he tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. That's important. We'll come back to that later. So in a way, what he's done is he's baptized this person, right? He has brought him on the path of being a Christian. He has washed him, made him new, and St. Augustine says, now set him on the path of discipleship, fresh from the waters of baptism. He has brought this person onto the path of being a Christian and being a disciple. And I think as Lutherans, we understand why this is really significant, right? Because we are so focused on word and sacrament. And the church is doing the same kind of healing today, right? Because we're still Jesus' means of shining light into the darkness, right? We know that as we proclaim his message of forgiveness, his message of renewal in the faith. And we're still applying healing salve, healing balm by means of holy baptism. We are still washing sin-sick eyes in the waters of holy baptism. We're applying that medicine of God's grace to people who are stuck in brokenness, who are hurting, who are in pain, who are suffering, and pointing them to the healing that God provides. And what's great is that we see the same kind of miracle. The divine words, the divine promises of God are brought alongside the muddy grit of everyday life, the people of the church, the simple means like bread and wine, simple means like water, right? That grit, that stuff of life is being elevated and used to bring hope and healing to people that are in darkness, to help breathe life into the world around us. And the key to understanding this text then is the church's presence, right? Our physical being alongside of our members of the community, our friends, our family members, our co-workers, etc. Think back to, it's still recent in our memory, the pandemic, right? What did we miss the most during times of social distancing? We missed 
presence. We missed being with one another. We missed a hug from a relative, a lunch shared with somebody who we're friends with, all this kind of stuff. The physical contact with people is something that we're created for and that we actually uh, draw meaning from. So today, the church is that physical presence of Christ in the world as we work to apply healing by means of the word and by means of the sacrament, by means of diaconal work, and by that I mean mercy work, where we care for people who are in the midst of pain and suffering. So how does one come to faith? This message and this text is clear. We come to faith because we are blinded by sin and are then taken by the hand and led to the healing waters of baptism, led to the life-giving message of the cross and of the resurrection. We are brought to the place where healing, life, and light is found. And that happens, yes, in the church. It happens wherever two or three are gathered, and it happens in our everyday interactions with people as we are all members of the priesthood of all believers. So now what happens? Having been baptized, having been washed, we have our sight restored. So what do we find afterwards? Listen to what St. Paul tells us in the book of Romans. St. Paul says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So what does that mean? We're a new creation. We can now see what God sees. We are connected ontologically in our very core, in our being with Christ in a unique way. In a strange way, we can say we've in fact already died, right? We've died with Christ, but now we've been raised to new life. We are a new creation through faith in Jesus Christ. So notice now how this theme, this idea of being a new creation, plays itself out with our friend in our gospel text, this person born blind. In the extended cut of this, the rest of John 9, the Lord of the Rings extended edition, if you will, you'll find this interaction. But what do people do when they see this person who's now seeing and walking around? Well, some people are happy. Some people are thrilled for him. That's great. Used to be blind. Now he can see. Some are not sure, right? They don't quite know what to do with this person who's been healed. And some think he's simply a lookalike, right? Now, this can't be him. We saw him begging by the wayside every day. Certainly, this is not the same man as before. What's the blind man's confession of faith? He simply responds, ego eimi. For those non-Greek speakers in English, I am. He says, I am the man. Why is this significant? Well, in the Old Testament, Yahweh, God's name, was I am. Jesus, all throughout John's gospel, has been saying, I am, I am, I am. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. And today, I am the light of the world. And this man now echoes the words of Christ. I am. So this language points to what St. Paul tells us. I, who have been Christ, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So what happens when we encounter Christ? Of course, we are healed. Sight is restored. We can see vision is now ours. We are baptized. We are washed. We are brought into the church. We are brought to faith. What do we now become? Ego me. I am. You become a little Christ. And this is what the mission and work of the church is all about. It's the center of our Lenten journey, really, that we are a little 
Christ, called to be part of the work that God is doing in the world. You are an under-shepherd to the good shepherd, right? Christ's way of encountering the people around us. So our evangelical encouragement then is to simply be a light that others who encounter you might see Christ first and foremost, might see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and by him see everything else. Enlightened by the life and salvation we receive in Christ, it changes our perspective on those around us, on the things around us, on the world around us. So again, be a little Christ. And as a little Christ, be part of that work that Jesus is still doing through the church's presence. Be part of that work that Jesus invites us into as we restore sight to the blind. And most importantly, point people to the word to the sacraments, wherein a healing salve is still applied to the world today. Sin-sick eyes are healed, and we are able to see and perceive Christ as our Savior, and now we are able to see one another as reconciled, yes, to God, but also united as the body of Christ. Amen. And now may the peace that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.